Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Alrighty, welcome everyone and welcome to today's guest, Frank Barker. How are you, mate? My man, Ian Hawkins. What's going on, dude? Man, I've been busting a bit on this thing for so long, seriously. And I apologize for last week. I got, you know, I got the flu and all that stuff. So I'm just recovering. So I might stay on the little uh, late night radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your voice last week, you sounded a particular, particularly sexy. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had you at hello. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that we were talking about last week. We, we we met about four years ago and I was immediately drawn to your mischievous humor. And uh, and then you reminded me why that is. You guys, because you're a cheeky bugger yourself. So I love it. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Very good. So Frank, tell us, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. Tell, me, tell me about what it is that you do and why you're so passionate about it, mate. Well, it's a creation of my teacher, um, Eddie Bravo. So if you, if you don't know who Eddie Bravo is, and he was the first person to actually um, score a point, actually submitted um, an undefeated legend out of a very legendary family in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 2003. And um, he uh, repeated the act in 2014, and he didn't submit Hoyler in the second rematch. But what he did was he... Was a, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under a very famous teacher, Jean-Jacques Machado. There's a very long line of, of, of great martial artists in that line. And um, he's our grandmaster, actually. And, and he gave Eddie his black belt. Then I sought out Eddie. And he came up with a, a system of fighting, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, offshoot. Like a, it's the same. It's a branch off the same tree, right? It's still ground fighting. Yeah. And I went and learned it from him in L.A. And um, he was the first person to run a no-gi school in the world. No gi meaning not wearing the kimono, you know, just, just, you know, when you see a classic, like a karate person, they're wearing like a jacket, a belt and pants. Well, Eddie devised the system. Well, not he didn't devise the system, but it was part of Brazilian jiu-jitsu where you didn't, didn't have to wear that. You just wore a rash guard and shorts. You can wear bats or even gi pants if you want. And um, so it's not relying on grips, not relying on grabbing collars and sleeves and things like that. So, and I love that as a, as a martial artist my whole life, I gravitated to more very practical, functional systems of fighting. So um, I love that. I love not having to rely on someone wearing anything, you know, like for me to have to defend myself against them. So um, all chokes and strangles are all about the various variations of grips with your arms and with leg entanglements and whatnot. Um, controlling the head and all this sort of thing was all about what Eddie was about. And anyway, I went and sought Eddie out. And then in 2008, he gave me a, a accreditation and license so I could actually teach that system that I learned from him for three years, traveling back and forth. And I opened up a no-gi school here in Melbourne, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Melbourne. And I was the first person outside of America in the Southern Hemisphere to do this. Awesome. 
So it was very, very, everything that you hear about pioneering and everything related to it, like, you know, resistance, haters, um, yeah. bagging you, you, you just, it was just, it was uh, so much fun. <laughs> it was Love so it. fun. But I didn't, I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't really think about it too much. I was like, okay, you know, I went on the Australasian Underground Forum and I said, hey, everybody, I'm here. I've got my accreditation from Eddie. I'm ranked. Um, the first level of advanced levels, which was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. And um, I'm going to be teaching all the, the, the basics, fundamentals that Eddie showed me that don't exist anywhere else in the world. But no one wanted to hear that part. Yeah. Heard, oh, you're, you're a blue belt and you're teaching. Who's going to pay money for that? Why, why, why? Anyway, that was, um, what, 2008. So um, 14 years ago. Yeah. And um, I become the first black belt in the Southern Hemisphere under Eddie Bravo. Uh, we've opened five schools in Australia. We have Templar Melbourne, South Melbourne, Hobart, Adelaide, and Brisbane. Awesome. So we're in five states. We're in five states now. Um, we have, you know, five black belts in Australia. Uh, we have multiple levels right across the board. We have multiple national champions, in, uh, you know, state champions, um, you know, all training every single night, you know, six days a week around the country. Uh, they're all my students that run the schools over there. Uh, I haven't been able to go back to America yet because of the, you know, the, the current state of affairs in the world, as we know, um, and, and so on. And on the restrictions don't allow me to go into LA anymore. So, you know, here I am and which is, you know, business as usual, which is uh, picking up the pieces and just continuing to move forward. So 10th um, Planet Jiu-Jitsu, I'm a martial artist, lifelong martial artist my whole life, an athlete my whole life. So, um, you know, that's, that's my passion comes from, you know, competing and, and, and wanting to excel. Um, you know, the word excel is, is one word that I always looked in the dictionary multiple times a day for years and years in school because I was bored. <laughs> and I just, that word just, I just wanted to excel in martial arts. So here I am and, you know, we fly the flag very proudly here in Australia. And uh, I'm proud to say that, you know, we're the first among the first wave of no-gi grapplers in the world outside of uh, America. And, and so here we are, you know, it's just it's awesome. fantastic. And, and to see the state of, of um, grappling in the world now and the focus on no-gi is like, it's prime time, you know. Yes. So organizations popping up, competitions worldwide, super exciting to, to, to know that um, you know, we've made a huge contribution, not only in our own country, but in the world. Uh, representing 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and no-gi grappling is, is absolutely awesome. So I'm very lucky. Awesome. <laughs> very awesome. Lucky. And we'll come back to prime time because we do share something else in common and that's in uh, we both work for Fox Sports at different times. And I know you are uh, you did a bit of on-air work, so we're going to come back to that. Oh, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So, Frank, I'm, I'm particularly drawn, you said, like um, the word fighting. So, yeah. so what was the passion for martial arts? Was it because as a kid you would get in fights? Is it because you wanted to be able to have that ability to defend yourself? Like, what was yeah. the lure to that? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm five foot four, you know, 65 kilos. You know, as a young person, I could barely hit 60 kilos, you know. But yeah. I was always smaller, lighter. You know, I played soccer as a kid. I played tennis and whatnot, and I was a musician, you know, I'm a drummer. Um, so um, my dad raised me on, on boxing and wrestling. And he's a huge WWE fan, and he loved boxing, you know, being Italian, Rocky Marciano, the whole thing, you know, the Rockies yeah. thing, the, mu the, mu the movies, you know, raised on Rocky and being Italian, and oh, my God, I mean, it was just, you know, it was, it was perfect. It was a meatballer's paradise, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, as a young kid, I was also a huge Bruce Lee fan. And when I heard that there was this karate style at the high school one time, I got down there like quickly and I was all in, you know, I just loved the whole idea of, 
a smaller, weaker person being able to kick someone's ass that was bigger and stronger than me was everything. So I, so I was led to believe that there was a thing you could do. You could get really strong. You could get really smart and scientific and use skills and you could overcome these things. I was like, whoa. So, um, and you know, Bruce Lee was only a small guy. He was like five, seven, I think he was or something. He was light. He was like 140 pounds. Um, he was all muscle and you know, he, um, his philosophy on training changed because he got in a situation where he's, he was he didn't perform at his best. He was his cardiorespiratory efficiency was bad. He didn't have strength as much as he really sh- thought he needed against these people that were well developed. So he redefined what fitness and 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 uh, um, and as a martial artist was. And I was all about that. I mean, my bookshelf is loaded with you know all these books and all these writings and philosophies and all that stuff. So from a very very young age, I learned that you could be really you could really be in the mix if you were just ultra prepared had super skills did the work um push yourself to the max but you had to excel in it and that word was like what does that mean you have to go far above and beyond in your craft you have to be the the elite of the elite you have to be the best in your craft if you had one that had any chance of defeating someone bigger and stronger than you yeah your lure bro that was the allure. still is today yeah, and I can tell that from from what I do know of you is that that drives you in all areas of life, right? Yeah. Like you said, that when the haters come and and all those people who say that you can't, like it's like, no, no, I've I've got this ability to go through this, go through uh, oh, yeah. places that other people won't, right? Yeah, they had no idea who they were dealing with. Like they, they were just keyboard warriors. They had no idea what I was like. I already had black belts in ten different arts. You know, I had ten different levels of black belt at this stage already. And in my mind, I always said to myself, I'm like. Yeah, you know, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yeah, I'm not a black belt yet, but that's only a matter of time. It wasn't like an it was not it wasn't an if, it was like a when. And these people yeah. had no idea of my background because to them, anything other than Brazilian jiu-jitsu was unacceptable. And I was like, oh yeah, but you know, learning under Japanese trained martial artists, going through 30-man kumite, I'm a two two-time Ironman triathlete. My brother went to Kona, like you know, I'm training with world champions, like, um, okay. So when the penny drops. They're going to go, oh, that's why. So then now, now it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, he's obviously had businesses and, you know, he already went through that stuff and, yeah, we, you know, and, and now, of course, he can do that. Now he's, he's a leader. I'm like, oh, okay. So before it was just about being a black belt, but even I've seen black belts that don't know how to lead. Black belts that, you know, you know, like don't have any business sense or acumen and, you know, too proud to, 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 to go and learn off other people. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like when, once the penny drops, then people will realize. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah, I love they it. I was dealing with bro, but my teacher Eddie Bravo, he knew exactly within within one visit, he knew what I was about. Like it's funny, and it eluded a lot of my other teachers in the past that held me back and restricted my my ability to learn, and you know abused me and put me down, and you know I was the smallest mm. in the room, and you know and there was no no weight classes, always put me against bigger, stronger guys, and. Mate, they just were waiting for me to break, you know, which never came. Uh, you know? They were intimidated by the power and uh, and then tried to find every way to push you down. Wow. It, it, it kind of, maybe I was delusional, I don't know, but it kind of felt like that, I'll tell you. Yeah, <laughs> like, 100%. Yeah, dude, I mean, oh, man. But that was then. I mean, the past does not equal the future, brother. The past does not equal the future, dude. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And... One of the things that you uh, were talking about earlier was, well, business 
was something that you kind of fell into the first time. So take us back to, or oh, actually before we go there, I, I want to hear more about the students, right? So you said at first there was some skepticism and, and people unsure, but, but what do your students get? What is it that you hear from them that gives you so much joy when they come out the other side of learning what they, what they learn from you? Let me tell you, it wasn't my student. weren't. It wasn't my students who had doubts. They they were other martial artists online, outside of my nucleus. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, I'm so I'm saying the students you have had. Oh, like, what 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 is it that like even like now and over the years? What is it that you love to hear from them when they when they like become more skilled? When they have more of that drive? When they have like when they come out? Yeah. They love, they love the fact that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu is just so unique, you know, that, that, we're, that they're part of a, a movement that was pioneered from the very beginning and that now that they are the, the, the greatest evolved, most evolved version of what I was like as a, a white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, now when I produce my own blue belts, purple belts, brown belts, black belts, they are like the highest level version of what I was, it's freaking mind blowing. And they love it. They love it. They love it because they see how far we have come with our structure, with our um, evolution, uh, with our uh, innovation, with our forward thinking, with our keeping up to date with all the latest technology that's going around in martial arts in the world that's pressure tested week every weekend, you know, all these competitions, you know, the fact that I'm a commentator on the biggest stage here in Australia, um, you know, we touched on that earlier and that, you know, I, I'm their teacher, I'm their coach and I'm out there representing, I'm the voice of, for, for athletes and martial artists in Australia, you know, watching these boys fighting in our country and then going on to the UFC, which is the greatest, the big dance, you know, the, the, the greatest testing ground in the world. Um, you know, and, and watching, you know, 30 of our athletes going from Hex Fight Series, which I'm a part of and have been from day one, um, all the way to the big show. And then my students, you know, seeing me put the cans on and go into that and being a, 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 an expert um, commentator in that. So I'm a color commentator, not just a play-by-play guy. I'm a color commentator. I break down the fights and what's going on in the moments that people are kind of going, what's going on, you know? When yeah. most people boo and this and that, they don't understand what's going on on the ground. Like I come in and the ground is super technical, you know, wrestling super technical um, to break that stuff down live. You know, they love, they love that, dude, mate. They love it because it takes a type of individual to walk into a 10th plan school. You have to be so open-minded. I mean, Eddie's open-minded about a lot of things. I mean, you just go Google Eddie Bravo and then just get a large popcorn and a Coke. You'll be there for days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. You'd be like a gamer, you know, you won't leave your chair. So, <laughs> yeah, nice. um, you know, yeah, you have to be really open-minded and you have to do your homework and, you know, it really challenges a lot of your thinking because our thinking is worst case scenario first. You know what I mean? You're not learning from a position of advantage day one. You're learning from the worst case scenario, which is for us a gold medalist Russian wrestler <laughs> 99 kilograms like where do you think you're going to start the fight you're going to be on your back bro you're going to be on your back dude and you better know what to do when you're there and that's how eddie raised me so yep. from the first day raising me in the worst case scenarios when i went online to go hey we are here in australia we are alive and we are running i couldn't care less what the what the community had in store for me i'm like bro i've learned this art from the bottom <laughs> You know, yeah. worst case scenarios first, and here I am, and I'm a small guy, I'm a light guy, 
and I've got in here purely by being technical first and then being tough and then being technical again, that little model, what are they going to say and do that's going to, so my students reflect all of this, man. They've been raised this awesome. way. Awesome. So they're, they're really prepared. And you know what? They're gamers, dude. Our students, when we go out in the comp circuit, my, all eyes are on our guys because they know something exciting is going to happen, something unorthodox is going to happen, something that they don't, don't know how to do, they don't know about. You know, and we go out there and we do what we do. Now, we don't win everything, but, man, we've got state champions, national champions, like doing big things. In the world, we got world-level black belts. We're on world-level competitions competing. Uh, we're best in the world in some areas. Uh, we've got lot, we've got champions in, in in at the top of the at the top of the game, you know, not right across the board, but who has? Who yeah. has? Yeah, hundred percent. Right in there, in the mix, and we're pioneers of this. So you know, it's mate, it's a pleasure for my students. I tell you, it's a pleasure. Hard That's work. That's awesome, mate. Yeah, awesome, mate. So you mentioned there a word that I want to tap into more. So you're following your master's version of what it is 100%. what you just described yeah what you just described there is that your people are going and doing things different right so so you must bring your own flavor to that right your own innovation so what <laughs> what are the, yeah so what is that what is it that frank barker brings to 10th planet that's unique that's yeah that's your own innovation <laughs> to this to this style i haven't brought any innovation to it at all other than me just um really being such a having such faith in it that um you know all, all of our techniques i mean jesus so many i mean i could you know i'll give an example let me draw on an example maybe this might be better for you yeah. in 2016 my teacher asked me to put together 32 drills 32 exercises and they're all themed they're all things and they're the they're the the most important things and consistent things that come up in no gear grappling whether you're in mma whether you're in submission only whether you're competing for points self-defense, whatever you want to talk about. We came up with, over the years of training, we started to see consistencies that always come up, you know, and, and jiu-jitsu is, is based on four basic principles. If I can just give it a, a little look. Number yeah. one, get the fight to the ground. So you start standing, you know, hey, I don't like your T-shirt. Well, my T-shirt's cool and your T-shirt's cool, but no, I don't like you or your T-shirt or attitude. Okay, so now you're going to attack me, so I need to get the fight to the ground if I want to defend myself. Because that way, everything's pretty equal. Because if you're bigger and stronger than I am, if I leave you standing, you have size, you have weight, you have length, you have distance covered, like you have all these advantages over me because I'm smaller and, you know, weaker than you. So if I get you on the ground, now your back's on the ground, now the universe, even the, the planets are against you, right? Yeah. Gravity is assisting me now. So the first rule is get the fight to the ground. That way, your weapons are null and void to a degree. Way, way less than if you were standing there wailing on me with your punches and your elbows and your knees. If you're on your ground and you're punching up at me, it's not going to have that much of an effect on me. Yep. So number one, get the fight to the ground. Number two, I've got to get around your legs. Because as you know, your legs are very powerful. If I lay on my back and kick my legs up towards you and you're trying to get you know, punch me, like and if I can just put my arms up and put my legs up, man, you know, you might get kicked in the face, kicked in the, in the, in the pelvis, in the knees, joints. You know, so the legs are really dangerous. So we can get, so we want to get around them. So get the fight to the ground, get around your legs. Number three, I need to be able to hold you down, Ian. Got to be able to hold you down. We call it yep. pinning. Okay, we call it pinning or control. So, or positional control. So I want to, I want to go chest to chest. So imagine you're on your back 
and my chest is on yours and I use my grips now to hold you so you can't move, you can't wriggle, you can't stand up, you can't punch me, you can't really do anything. So once I get you down, get around your legs and hold you down, now I'm going to isolate an arm, a leg or your neck. So I'm going to put in a final, I'm going to finalize it. So I'm going to finish you, arm bar, choke, um, or attack your legs and you know hurt your legs or a limb of, of, of choice. So these are the four things in jujitsu. Get you down, get around your legs, control you, and then finish you. So there are 32 drills that we put together for the whole association in the world. We have 150 schools in the world, right? Eddie and all the black belts all contribute through competing and trial and testing, testing, pressure testing daily, not only in our schools, in our dojos, in our gyms, but also in, on the competitive map. And we draw from that the consistencies and we put together 32 exercises that reflect the best things in all these different positions. Chokes, strangles, escapes, reversals, we call them sweeps, wrestling, takedowns, leg attacks, escapes, everything, counters in 32 drills. Eddie asked me out of all the black belts in the world to film these and produce these for the association. Awesome. So in 2016, myself and Josh, my top student, and some other students, we filmed it, we edited it, we packaged it, and we presented it to Eddie. And it was so well received. These are awesome. called the 10th Planet warm-ups, the 10P warm-ups. And, we, and, we, and we, Eddie wanted to promote it as the warm-ups because we didn't want it to see as, like, these are our, like, this is our curriculum. No, he wanted to say, look, this is just like mitt work. You know when you warm up on the pads? Like, you know, yeah. when you warm up, when you, before you play a game, you do dribbling drills, you do some shooting from these angles, you do some layups, and I'm just drawing from a basketball analogy. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. just warming up, you know, jumping jacks for your jiu-jitsu, so to speak. Yeah. So we, 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 look, with a lot of Eddie's help, but also with our, our with my mindset, because Eddie was just shooting me texts on what he wanted to look like. I didn't know how half of these things really looked like, but I drew on my experience and my training and we just videotaped it, sent it over there, and he sent it back, and we scrutinized it and, and polished it. So we launched this in 2016. To this day, our, our warm-ups have evolved enormously because, you know, the game evolves, and we just interject these into our warm-ups, and we practice these for 15 minutes every day before we do anything else. So if you want to ask me, okay, what's one thing that, that, that you've brought to the table as a, you know, um, the word you used as a um, innovator, like what, what's your, what, have, what have you done to contribute to the machine, pretty much? I have to say that, you know, it's not just one like one technique or um, a move or an escape or something I did in comp or something like that. It was the warm-ups. We really launched those warm-ups to the world. And, you know, I've got a 10P warm-ups Instagram page that I run for the association. And we have 35,500 people that view that um, regularly and use that. Um, to help uh, them bridge these techniques that we do in 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu with their own Jiu-Jitsu. And they don't, have to be, they don't even have to be 10th Planet schools. I have guys, man, I've got guys, dude, I get hit up every time, every week from people that um, say, hey, we're doing the warm-ups today, and they videotape themselves doing them. And they may not be doing them perfectly, or they may not be doing them in no gi. Um, they may not be using them every day, but they love it because it's added a dimension to their their martial arts abilities that have really um, improved them. They've improved, like they've really improved their jujitsu because of them. And that, that, my God, I mean, 
That's all yeah, I need. Well, yeah, and and that was pretty extensive. Given when I first asked the question, you're like, oh no, like, but you know, you're bringing you're bringing that magic to the table, right? It's that's that innovation, and and then the fact that people are now coming to you to ask for exactly that, like, yeah. It's it's I look at it like a lot of well, I see a lot of people look at it is like it's just so natural to you that sometimes you don't even see it just how good yeah. it is. Oh, it's yeah. just what I do, right? Yeah, I had to think about it, but I mean, we have a we have a, a I built a chalkboard because I'm always about notes, man. I mean, I know you can see on my wall behind me. There's there's notes on my wall and yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's notes on my computer. There's like my computer has notes on there, and and in yeah. my school, you know, I, I designed my school. Like my office, you know, like, you know, what do you do when you go into an office of a successful dude? It's, well, if you look at my office, man, it's like a music room. It's like a library. It's like an accolade collector. It's like I've got photos. I've got books, instruments. Like it's become like it's computers. It's become a all-encompassing thing these days. But, you know. If you look at a, um, if you look at Hollywood movies and stuff, you have epic, beautiful, you know, oak desk. You know, everything's immaculate. You know, the degree on the the degree on the wall, and then and you have your little taladex. You know, where you draw all your stuff, and then you have yeah. on the taladex, you have like a um, a motivational speech on it. Uh, we call yeah. them um, what do we call them these days? Um, you know, like a little saying of the day. What do you call yeah. them? Yeah, affirmation what, or affirmations. Yeah, you have an affirmation, right? Well, I when I built my school, I put my affirmations on the walls, so that when I walk in, there's an you, you're immersed in, in a whole mental attitude. You know, so I'll give an example. Um, so um, you walk in, and on the left it says, "We are here to to be our best." So that's like a a team thing, right? In the middle of the wall, you know, well it's covered now with banners and things because things have evolved over the years. But there was a little um, analogy in there: defend, escape, control, attack. Just memorize it: defend, escape, control, attack. Just to just to program you, you know, like the government yeah. tries to program us, you know, like with with mainstream media and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> so a way of thinking: when you're in trouble, defend first, survive, then try and get out of the position, then try and get some control, and then mount an attack. So we put that there, and then on the other wall it says: easy ain't an option. Like it's on the wall, easy. Ain't an option. It's never going to be easy. So when you find yourself getting smashed on your back and there's some dude sweating all over you, you look up and you see the sign, right? You see it. Easy ain't an option. So you're like, oh, that's okay. It wasn't meant to be easy. Then you move across. It says, be technical, be tough, be technical. Then the other one says, adapt and overcome. Then the other one says, virtue before vice, values before vanity, and principles before personalities. And then the last thing you see on the outside before you leave is the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. So I immerse myself. Yeah. So in this way of thinking, it's more innovation. So, so to me, like, it's like exactly like you said, it, we're programming our mind. Like if you look around my wall, it's got the same sort of stuff, right? I've got my yeah. affirmations. I've got all these like different things I've got going on and it's just it's subliminally it's going in, it's going in. And I'm just so surrounding we, myself with it, man. Say again, Terry. Just surrounding myself with it. Yeah. hundred percent. You know? So it's so, so powerful, mate. So that's why, like, even just going into your school, they're going to have an impact before yeah. they even before they even hit the floor, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the dojo is a, is, a, is, a, is a whole dimension. It's another dimension that you're walking into. And, yeah. and if you have the opportunity to have one of your own, then you can, you can design it however you want. You know, there's no rules. Like, if you go the Japanese model, oh, my God, it has to be, 
Like, mate, I learned under a traditional Japanese trained sensei. Dude, let me tell you, it's. <laughs> but, but I've used a lot of what they did, and then I essentially added my own. You know. Yeah, love it. Ian, I don't even remember what your original question was before I went into this humongous rant. But anyway. So, <laughs> it was innovation, mate, and you and you answered it perfectly. I love it. So, Frank, I want to go like back in the story, right? We've already talked a bit about well how you got into martial arts, but let's, let's talk about that business journey. So you said so you came out of school and and your thing was travel. So tell us why you wanted to get into travel, and then tell us tell us the journey through learning all you learned about travel and how that all came undone. Man, this is a ripper. This is a ripper. <laughs> <laughs> this is a ripper story, man. All right. So anyway, you know, like I, I tried a lot of different things and I tried to really improve myself in every area I can. And, you know, um, you know, through my martial arts training, one thing that was also consistent was music. And I was, I went really hard in music and I realized real quick that I wasn't going to make that much money in music. And this is way, this is, this is 1988, man, 87. I was 17, 18 years old. Um, it wasn't going to happen. So I had to, I had to really push myself and I tried as many things that I thought I had like natural abilities in, like really early, I got drummed into me from my mom, my, my, my uncles as well. They were, one was a pharmacist, one's a doctor. Um, was that, um, look, you know, um, find, out what, find out what you're good at. Yeah. Find what you love. This is from my mom. Find what you love, never have to work a day in your life. It's really, really true. Look, it's not entirely true because I bust my ass all the time. But the point <laughs> is it's, 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 a, it's a pursuit from passion, you know, it's a pursuit of what you love. You'd rather be yeah. doing, working hard in those things that you love to make you greater rather than chasing someone else's dream. So that's what that means. But 100%. it's always, you know, hard work, yeah. work ethic. You know, you have to be, you have to be willing to, you know, put in the work and love the process too. And I get that. Okay. So, so I did things like I became like a, a sports trainer as well. Like I'm, I'm a qualified massage, sports massage therapist as well. So I worked for the AFL for a couple of years and I didn't like that environment at all. You know, that's another, that's another long story. But um, so then, you know, I just kept on this quest of trying to, you know, add skills. And, and I wanted to do that because I want to add to my martial arts skill because I wanted to understand the body more. You know, functional anatomy and physiology is a big deal in understanding how, you know, joints bend, you know, you know, and all that stuff and how, you know, circulation system works and, you know, because there's choking strength, how impact, you know, hypercussive impact trauma, how that affects the, you know, neurological part of the brain, you know, through, you know, knocking people out and all that stuff. So, so I, I wanted to learn more about it so I could be more scientific because I was a small person, you know, I, I you know, like no one was going to notice me because I was small. So I had to be loud and I had to be prepared. I had to know shit so I'd get people's attention. So I worked this out really, really early. So I, I immersed myself in education, right? So, and, and, and I've got to tell you, before all of that, I'll be honest with you, one time when I was young, because I used to be a, 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 like a watermelon-eating cricket fan, footy fan, Olympics, like if the national anthem was playing, I'd, you know, I'd, be, I'd stand up, I would have my, I'd get choked up because I'm like, oh, my God, how amazing would that feel to win a gold medal? You know, representing my country was like, you know, I'm a huge soccer fan, so I used to get up at 3 a.m. to watch the World Cup. And you, you know, understand, like, this yeah. is what I was like early, yeah. early in my, in my, in my life. And then one time I saw this Club Med commercial on TV for Club Med. And I see this, this young dude with a killer tan wearing volleyball shorts, playing, teaching volleyball at some resort, you know, with these, you know, with all these, you know, like gorgeous girls and this lifestyle and the beach. And I was like, fuck yeah, I got, that's what I want to do. That's all I wanted to do. Let me tell you, and this goes back, bro. Like you're, yeah. you're going, we're going back here, right? 
all I wanted to do was work for Club Med. That's all <laughs> I wanted to do. So, my, so I was like, you know what? I tried a few things. I was about 19, 20 here, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into travel and tourism. I'm finally going to do it. I'm already, I was already a, a, a black belt. I've achieved a few levels of black belt at this stage of my life too. And, um, you know, I was fit and athletic. I loved out, outdoors and sport. Like, I'm like, prime time, baby. I'm going to do this, right? I was ready. So I threw myself into travel and tourism. Now, this is unbeknownst to my family because if they heard me talking like this, no wonder, no wonder it went the way it went. And I'll get into it in a second. But anyway. <laughs> And I don't blame them for that or anything, but this is the truth. Yep. So I went into travel and tourism and um, I knew how to make money because I've been teaching martial arts since I was 15 in my driveway. So I had like nine or 10 students. Mate, in year 11, I was doing like 250 a month in year 11. But that's not a lot of money. But in year 11, this is like 19, what, year 11, 1986? Back then, that's a lot of money for year 11. Yeah. Hey, I was 15. 1985, 1986, Jesus. I was doing about 250 a month. I had about eight or nine of my mates from school in the driveway, and I had four girls in the backyard doing anti-rape classes two times a yeah, week. Right. My mum's hanging clothes. My mum's Italian mum, right? Right. She had, hey, she was, she was an entrepreneur. Like, my mum, well, anyway. So, hey, I, I understand what cash felt like in my hands. My dad put... A, a brown paper bag of five dollar notes, one dollar notes, two dollar notes in nineteen seventy six. Yep, you remember the brown one dollar note with the kangaroo <laughs> on the front. Yeah, the, the green two dollar note, the purple five dollar note, paper, paper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. If they were stuck in your jeans when you washed them, you hung them out, mate, and you dried them. <laughs> he used to stuff like a couple of hundred bucks worth of fives in a brown paper bag and just go, hey. Run up to Nornos. My grandfather just lived 300 meters down the street. Run up to Nornos. He'll know what to do with them. So it looked like I was carrying my lunch. You know what I mean? And I yeah. would sprint down Moreland Road, Brunswick, to where my Nornos used to live, and he used to know what to do. So my parents put money in my hand since I was a little tacker, since yeah. I was a little dude, dude. Yeah. And I loved it, Ian. <laughs> I loved it. Anyway, so – Going back to it. So I always made money. I knew how to make money. Always had, always wanted to work. Didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to go to uni. I wanted to fucking make money, bro. I wanted to make paper like early. I wanted the car. I wanted the girl. I wanted money in my account. I wanted the gold chains. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to pimp because I, I, I wanted that. Because to me, I understood that, that in, in my mind, early as a young person, that meant something. You know what I mean? Like, People were driving Saabs and Volvos and Mercedes, and I understood what that meant. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was watching TV, Hollywood movies, you know. I mean, you know, I've been Italian descent, you know, gangsters, the mafia, <laughs> the mob, all this stuff. I mean, I didn't, want to, I didn't want any of that. Neither did my parents, neither did my dad at all. My dad was a very clean-living man, still is to this day. But, man, the trophies and all that stuff that came with it, I was, like, obsessed with that shit, dude, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, who didn't have a Lamborghini – you know, in their room. I mean, who didn't go to the fish and chip shop in 1979 and see the Chico Roll chick on a freaking Harley Davidson with jean shorts and boots, <laughs> gorgeous tan with a Chico Roll? You understand? Like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> Spot on. So this is this is what went in, in my head and this, is, this was very uh, acute to me. So 
I was ready to go, dude. As a, as a, as a late teen, I'm like, fuck this, I'm out of here. So I went into travel. Well, I got my diploma, I graduated, I get, I was ducks of the class, I went and did the tier, the TIAS course. Mate, this is a language that no one really even understands exists, existed. This was the travel industry automated systems computer programming course that only the best in the ducks of the class was invited to, right? And it was so intense, dude. It was like, fuck, it was like, it was only for about, I think it was only about, look, geez, I, I really can't even remember. I think it might have been three months, but it was like. Different language. I had to learn computer language, like coding, all the country codes. So I had to be able to book people in with all the codes and, and, and organize their travel. And I, I thought, I'm out of here, dude. I'm going to do this. I did it. I did it. I got my papers. I had my suit on, my briefcase. I went straight. My parents bought a delicatessen. Right? Yeah. No, no, I said, I said, listen, I'm getting into travel and tourism here. I said, I, I'm, I'm out of here. I said, I'm doing this. You know, I've got plans. I said, I, I'm not going to get no tied down into no business. I said, look, please, I'm, I've been going to school at this stage for like two years at this stage now. Yeah. Right? It was like a, the Tyaz program course was a bridge course to it. After travel, I've already done my time. I'm like, hey, what are you kidding me? So I walked into the deli on a Friday night. Now, Friday nights in the deli business back in 1990, it was 16 people across. And it was yeah. like three, four people deep. And this is 7 p.m. And this started from 10 in the morning on a Friday and it would end at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And Saturdays were even worse. It was like, <laughs> but we had the hottest deli in Coburg, dude. We, we were known. We were a family business. We were all, right? So I walked in there and I'm seeing my sister slaving, my mom, my dad, my brother. We had a worker. Uh, helping us. Um, my sister's husband, there was six of six of them behind there. I walk in there in my suit and my briefcase watching them slaving. Well, let me tell you something, dude. And this is every Italian and maybe Greeks too and maybe other nationalities. But my mum would put a little drop of guilt in every meal. You understand? <laughs> when I walked in there and I'm looking at them, you can imagine how I feel, how I yeah. felt. Yeah, looking yeah. at my brother-in-law, my sister, my brother, my mum, my dad, this were looking at me standing there. How long do you think a person like me, at 20 years of age, how long can I stand there watching them for? Yeah, not long. Right? So yeah. what did I do? I took off my tie and my suit jacket and put my briefcase down for the last fucking time. And I never ever saw a day in travel. Wow. So, because what Italian son is going to say, nah, I'm not doing that. You go and do it. You're joking. You're going to be in a box, bro. You're Don't go box. against the family, right? You're going to Generali, mate. They're picking your, your – uh, Generali was the local undertaker in the north. <laughs> <laughs> so I never saw a day in travel. Dude, I'm telling you now I, what I really wanted to do. I wanted to get out of Australia. I wanted to go to some beautiful, exotic European location and go and teach fucking volleyball and canoeing, dude. Seriously. Yeah. I wanted to just, I wanted to have a skin like a, like an old Sharon, you know. I wanted to be just tanned <laughs> like Donald Trump, you know. Orange. Orange man, bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Did that answer the question? It did. That's my starting business, bro. Yeah. Woo! So did that eat away at you then, the fact that you did you never actually went in it. Like, how, how long did that sort of play out? Was it always sort of nagging there or is it still nagging there? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want the uh, audience think? to hear, bro. 
Hey, look, let's keep it positive. Listen, man, I mean, I'm a 51-year-old man now. I've got two kids, family, married, the whole thing. I've been married for 25 years and, you know, I mean, I've been in business my whole life, always trying to make it, you know, and finding more innovative ways to, you know, evolve, you know, um, and find the best people I could afford to get in front of and that I could get in front of and have access to get in front of. And I just went all the way, dude. You know, I went through the whole Tony Robbins program. I put myself through the 30-day program um, back in, shit, 1998. I put myself through it. I was at wit's end. I had like 286 bucks left in my account. I was up so late one day with a back, severe back injury. Didn't know what I was going to do. I had no one in my school. And I bought the 30-day program and I committed to it. I, I did the journaling. I, I listened to all the program. I, I took action every single day. And um, I started building, personally developing myself from the ground up. Um, I was newly married. Oh, my God, dude, Ian. It, people walk into my school and think, oh, you're so lucky, this and that. Oh, Eddie, you know, oh, you go to America. I'm like, oh, dude, you have no idea. You have no yeah. idea what it looked like back in 19, 1998, dude. Oh, my God. I was out of shape. I was overweight. I was in the worst condition of my life. You know, I was just struggling struggle city bro like fuck you know you dude it was maybe you should be interviewing my missus you know what i mean I, a way a way better story mate mate she was like oh wow yeah i really overmarried <laughs> <laughs> so good so good oh poor thing i feel sorry for her to this day i tell her what are you doing here what are you doing here <laughs> so good i mean you you touched on something that I think is like people know, but it's important to reiterate. It's like there's there's not an overnight success, right? Like mm-hmm. the luck comes because you're prepared to go into places that other people aren't prepared to go. And, oh yeah, and what is it? Uh, two years to become an overnight. It took me like like twenty years to become an overnight success. I didn't meet Eddie until I was thirty six years, thirty five years of age, bro. Yeah, there you go. I've been full time since ninety three when I was twenty two years old. Yeah. So I didn't mean any, and I went through the mill, dude. I, I dude, I, look, I don't want to make this a negative thing, but let me tell you, dude, I, I put all my chips on red. I followed a sensei, dude. That, that it's an, it's another story completely, but I don't want to get into it. But say, just 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 believe me when I tell you that before I met Eddie, I I didn't know where I was going. I had really put all my chips on red with the sensei at the time, and I became the, his best student. I was on the front cover of two of his world journals. I was the face of two of his highest selling DVDs. Um, I was the one guy that had faith in his program in Australia than anyone else. He went on to um, uh, create a college university diploma, a martial arts diploma course in Brisbane. I took my students over there. We were up there with the best in the world. And, mate, I got treated like a piece of crap, dude. Yeah, wow. Like a piece of crap, dude. And I have to. I should. I should be grateful. I should be grateful. When I met Eddie at that time, I was like, I. I, I don't know how I'm gonna. Where am I gonna go from here? I had nowhere to go. I had a dojo running. I was still successful in a lot of minds of a lot of people. But in my mind, I was like, I'm not gonna be abused for the rest of my career. I'm not gonna die with three white belts in my dojo at 86 years of age. Is this how it's gonna fucking end? I'm like. I'm not no built way. for this. I, no way, I, I am underutilized here. I need to be utilized. I need to be put out into the force, into the workforce. I need to be a shining example for people to come and train. I need to develop leaders. I need yes. to develop these programs. I need to get out there. I need to I need to establish a martial art in this country. I need to contribute as a community-based contributor. 
to the martial arts computer community and i want to i want i want to be known for that like i really felt like this is what was ahead for me but i had no wonder i just didn't believe in the product bro there was no product that was i was like this this, this is filled with scumbags people just trying to make it there's only one guy at the top and the rest of just scumbags i'm like we're just minions you know disposable i'm yeah. like what the fuck i'm like and when i met eddie and he showed more faith and belief in me in in two trips to the states than some of my instructors especially the current one at the time was and let me tell you i thank them all all of my instructors over the years and i'm not shitting on no one hey this is the truth this is the truth i'm not naming names but this is the truth it was i was so abused and abused bro i was like a i was like a crash test dummy to these people this is true Ian. man I, be I believe it and and it's yeah, yeah, and, and I they can make definitely... jokes about me, bro, because I was small. They make jokes about me because I was little. They made they laughed at me behind my back, bro. But why they didn't know? They couldn't run like I could. They couldn't out push up me. They couldn't outwork me. They couldn't out jump me. They could not. They had to kill me to stop me. <laughs> Love it, and I think look, I can definitely relate, and I and I know other people listening will be able to relate. Where there have been times where they're like, like. I've given so much to this and I, and I've got I haven't got back what what I was meant to get back and that to me that's usually exactly when that person shows up that takes you across to the other side and I can definitely relate to having someone come into my world at exactly that time where I'm like man I, I don't know what to do now I've yeah. done all the I've done all the programs I've invested all the money I've done all and then like what do I what do I do now and that's yeah. exactly when the person shows up right and that's when everything changes yeah mate my students, I was, I wanted to go to LA because there was two people I wanted to train with, and my brother-in-law Josh, who's also a black belt now. It's so crazy how things happen, man. But yeah. um, and he runs the South Melbourne school at Ten Plan South Melbourne. Um, and he was on a world trip at 21. He goes, I'm going back to Argentina. I'm going to go travel the world. He went to LA, he went to the UK, went to the States, and he goes, oh, I'm going to the States, Frank. Who should I train with? And I said, Look, I would train with Jean Jacques Machado or Eddie Bravo. That's what I would do. And I go, Jean-Jacques is Eddie's teacher and Eddie's on this new thing that he's really launching and he was early in his career. He's only been doing it for three years and he wasn't established. He was the only school in the world. I said, I'd go there. And some of my students said, oh, you're meeting, oh, Josh is going to train with Eddie. Why don't you meet him there when he goes? Because Josh was leaving Australia first to go to the, to the UK, wah, 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 whatever, wherever he was going. I can't remember exactly. And then he was going to end up in LA. And my students said to me, some of my black belts at the time who I had raised said, hey, we'll hold down the school. You go. You deserve it. You've been here all these years. Go. Go and meet him there and go and meet Eddie. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. So I, I went home and I spoke to my wife, Karina. I said, hey, Kat, what do you think? She goes, fuck yeah, let's go. So we can afford it. Let's do it. Go. So I went and met Eddie. And then um, I came back and I said, guys, um, our ground game, there's a big hole in our ground game because at the time of the martial art I was doing, it was an all-encompassing, like a classical MMA kind of yep. karate tradition. And we were amazing at it, but on the ground, we, were, we weren't as good as these guys. I was like, let's inject this new, innovative, no-gi grappling to, and bring that to the system that we're in and let's make that better. Like our contribution, I realized that this was, I was like, Eddie was like Willy fucking Wonka. You know what I'm saying? And I found the fucking golden ticket, bro. I'm not kidding. And Eddie, yeah. real quick, real quick, uh, established a very um, 
a very strong relationship with Eddie very quickly. And we're the same age. We're only six months apart. We're both into music. We're both the drummers, both into Kiss, both into metal, you know, the, the, the whole lifestyle, both into fighting and fights and martial arts and, you know, all that stuff. We had like a parallel existence, you know, him in LA and from Santa Ana in California, me here in Melbourne, Australia. You know what I mean? It was crazy, dude. It was, it was nuts. It was nuts how the parallels were. And we just hit it off. Magic. Magic. So good, are. mate. Yeah, yeah, so good. Part of that comes when you get clarity on what you want, right? Then that person shows up. So it's a right. it's a massive credit to to how far you come to that point. I, I want to touch on a couple of things and to re, like just to talk about your desire and will to to be better. Mm. You've done two Ironman tri- triathlons now. Yeah. Distances in that, I don't even like driving that far. How do you end up deciding that you're going to do an Ironman? Well, you see, and, and, and just tell everyone the distances so they know the magnitude of what we're talking. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a 226 kilometer race. So, you do you swim 3.8 kilometers with 1,500 people, and um, and you don't die during that. So <laughs> Then, then you get out and you get straight on your bike and you ride 180.2 kilometers. Yeah. That's about five hours, 19 for me. It took five hours, 19. And my best swim was uh, one hour and 28 seconds. My goal was to beat an hour in the swim and I, 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 I failed by 28 seconds. And it's only because in the last 400 meters, I got two cramps in my calf muscles at the end of the swim from like hyper kicking my brains out, trying to flush my legs to get ready to stand up after swimming in it for an hour, you know, like yeah. physiologically strange things happen to you when you're racing at these distances, you know, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, um, and then I rode five nineteen, so it's five hours, 19 off the bike. And then you ditch your pushy and then you get in your running shoes and you run a marathon, which is 42.2 kilometers. Ridiculous. <laughs> and this is all back to back. You don't rest. You don't take a break. You don't have a meal. You don't lay down <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you race it. You don't just participate in it. You race it. Well, that's what I wanted to do anyway, and I did it twice. So, um, yeah, look, I, I was a little bit out of shape in 98, which I alluded to earlier because I was teaching so much and trying so hard, and I was actually really depressed and really down and out and just confused and conflicted, and and there was no internet, and, you know, I'm writing letters. I'm like, fuck, man, like <laughs> so prehistoric compared to, you know, what we have today. Um, and um, I went back into running, which is something I loved and I, you know, all my life. And um, I, I sought out my, my Muay Thai kickboxing teacher. He was an avid runner at the time, and he invited me to run at Essendon Athletics. And I went down there, trained with him a couple of seasons. And I mean, even my running coach, my distance coach, Bill Burke, he was 92. And actually, he wow. actually ran the Ballarat Marathon back in 1914 or something like that at the time. <laughs> that was yeah. so weird. And um, he said to me in this husky voice, he used to call me Sprinter. He used to call me Sprinter. Listen here, Sprinter. Some things you can't change. And you're a Sprinter. Get over there at the 100 metres to go and go train with those guys. Like he, he kicked me. He, he sent me. For, he, he got rid of me on the first day. I said, coach, coach, coach. I said, I want to run distance. I know it doesn't. I look like a Bulgarian weightlifter trying to run distance, right? <laughs> I was about 76, kil, uh, 76 kilograms. I was, I was way out of shape. I was about 10, 12 kilograms out of shape and, it was just life at the time. It was just confusion, man. It was just, but anyway, I got back into it. Well, after one full season of running, I went from running a 3K local, you know, distance to a half marathon in one season. So I kind of got injured. 
and I hurt my, I got bulging discs in my back and I, you know, it was a real mess. So <clears throat> I had to swim. So I said, you're never going to run competitively again. This is 99, right? At this stage, you're never going to run competitively again. So it's like, uh, I don't think so. I don't know who you're talking to. I'm only, you know, 28 years of age. I yeah. think I'm going to run competitively. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, that was just the backward thinking of the physiotherapist at the time. And I, I fired him after that conversation and I got a new physio and then the rest is history. But um, so I started swimming with my brother who was a good swimmer and he was an awesome athlete. So I got over my injuries. I went back to running and I was kept up the, the swimming. And while I was swimming, we rode bikes because I couldn't run. And then my brother, in, he, he goes and says, Frank, there's a, there's a fun triathlon down at St. Hilda. I'm entering you into it. I'm like, oh, okay. Just so you could have a good laugh at me, right? Yeah. So I went, and this is my brother entering me into this, laughed, wanting to laugh at me, his younger brother, by 18 months. <clears throat> my brother ended up going to Kona, Hawaii, and competing in the World Championships in 2003. Let that wow. fucking sink in. Anyway. Yeah. Wow. So that's what it turned into. So to cut a long story short, I entered a fun try, and I just went to the next distance, next distance, next distance, and then I took it seriously, said, no, I want to compete. So I sought out half Ironman. I sought out Tony Benson, who was a uh, he was the '92 Australian track and field coach for Australia. Yeah, yeah wow. Right? He was my coach. Yeah, wow. He coached me for for three year, for two years. I brought my brother on board because he thought I'm nuts. He goes, he's training Tony Benson. What the hell? He came on board, and my brother ends up in two years. We qualified for Ironman. We went to went to Foster Tankari, which was in um, um, the the East Coast. Yeah, New South Wales. We have to take a little, a little airplane to get there. One of those little <laughs> um, wrecks, you know those wrecks, Honda yeah. flip flights, right? That <laughs> yeah. shake and shudder, and you don't know if they're going to stay in the air. So we go to we go to um, to Foster. I don't I don't qualify for Kona. I missed out by about twenty eight minutes, but my brother does. He goes to Kona. He competes in the World Championships on the Australian team. It's bananas. So that's how I got into Ironman. Bananas. So good. My so good. Make fun of me, prick. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> any motivation that's good so what you, you touched on something there that that i think is really important for people to hear is is not accepting people's opinions of what, what? is the future right like so because because i've had that same experience right you shouldn't be running anymore you shouldn't be lifting you shouldn't be playing sport and i just like i'm like you i'm like i'll just find someone else who will give me a different opinion and dude, i'll find a way mate i agree Dude, I'm 51 and I'm still pushing myself. I'm still doing things better. Like, I, I, you know, I'm an, I'm fit. I'm really, really fit. I'm one of the fittest in my school. Like, I'm known for being in shape and my conditioning and my fitness and, you know, my science approach to my lifestyle, my diet, nutrition, my rehabilitation, the modes of, 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 of different um, uh, things I put myself through, like a meditation. I've been meditating since 2011. It was twice a day for five years flat out now. I'm meditating once a day and I'm doing my best to, to keep that up. Um, you know, transcendental meditation, that is, by the way. Um, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, all these things I, I contribute to. It's not just one thing that I've – there's so many things that I've tried and tested and stuck to and realised and found people to teach me and whatnot. I'm still pushing myself to this freaking day, bro. Like, seriously, I'm trying to get over this cold so I can get back in the pool and go back to my sprints and yeah. go back to the mat and keep you know, rolling again. I competed only a month ago in a professional as a black belt – and a big show in the co-main event in Queensland um, against the black belt. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm slated, slated to fight 
on the on July 15 on a big show in Melbourne. Like, you know, I'm still, I'm, man, what are you talking about? These people, don't listen to that shit. Don't listen yeah. to that shit. 100%, 100%. I agree with you, yeah. man. I, I love that you're doing that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and like you, I love to show other people that it's possible for them too, right? Because if we if we open our mind, which is something you said early on, to different possibilities, then we don't know what's possible for us. Like Ironman triathlon, like mind-blowing. Imagine if I'd said to you five years before that you'll be running an Ironman triathlon, you, you would have just laughed in my face, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. But you know what? You do the work, get educated, get in front of the best people you can afford or you can find. Um, and get a second, third, fourth opinion, you know, and then weigh it all up and, and have a, you know, and have a, a real open-minded discussion with yourself, yep. you know, family and see what you want to do. I mean, whether you have a family or not. I mean, if you're, if you're a young person and I'm, oh, my God, these days in the current climate with so much bullshit and fraudulence and fakery and yeah. fake bullshit, you know, like, you know, the TikTok bullshit that's going I mean, I look at that stuff and I'm just like, what the? Like people have just being distracted with all this bullshit, you know. I'm like, it's the word distraction, yeah, hundred percent. Unbelievable, dude. No, 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 no. You, you need to be single-minded in your pursuit. You need to make sure you got all your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. So good education, get in front of the right people, get the right opinions, have a good plan. Make sure you know someone that's done it that you want to do it in your age bracket with your circumstances. Talk to them. Um, be willing to work hard. Be willing to stay up late. Be willing to get up early. And I was training at 4 35 o'clock in the morning. I was up for two years straight and then training second sessions of the day and then working in between being a dad, two little kids under three. What are you talking about? What are you talking Discipline. about? Why? Because you got a home. Your, your yeah. mum makes freaking dinner every freaking night. You got your clothes on your bed. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? 100%, mate. You got to find that discipline, right? To do what needs to be done. Um, I want to I want to touch on two things in the one question because. That I think that I can see a link there, right? So if you look at musician and and just me thinking about the drummers, the favorite drummers I've had, they're entertainers, right? And so and then the same with the color you're bringing to the the broadcast. Does does that being in that space, being like on a stage and performing, is that something that really fills you up and and gives you a lot of joy? Uh, oh, absolutely, it does. It, it gives me all those things. But I never did it for those reasons. I never did it to be famous or to. I'm not. I'm not famous. But I'm just saying, I never did it for fame, and I did it for the money, like fortune. I did it because I wanted to. I'm come. I came from a position of contribution. I was just so. T- I mean, I was listening to. How many times have you heard a commentator on on your favorite sports, and they're terrible? Have you ever heard of the commentator? Doesn't know what's going on. Missing yeah. key moments. Key moments. Not All talking about it. Like, yeah. I just couldn't stand it. You know, I just, and I was like, what is this? Anyway, so it fell into my lap because I wasn't trying to be a commentator because I would be pretty much calling shots on the couch for 10 years with my best mate. And I, oh, look at this. He's going to throw a right hand. Look at this. He's open for that head kick. Here it comes. Boom. Head kick knock you. And they'd look at me like, I'm like, ah, look at this. Because, you know, <laughs> your education, when you're all about it, it's, it comes out, you know? So, yeah. look, I, I can't believe my luck, dude. I just, I can't believe that someone said, hey, why don't you put these on? And I used to do a radio show <laughs> on SEN 1116 in Melbourne at one in the morning for 10 minutes on MMA. And I turned that in 12 months into an hour show every week for SEN 1116. They used to do boxing and wrestling. And then they said, hey, Frank, why don't you come on and talk about the UFC that's coming to, to Australia? That's how it started. Dude, 
And they said, oh, why don't you put these on and, and come and take the fight? I had one of my guys fighting. It was Josh, actually, Tito, fighting. I'll go, oh, I have to coach him, but I'll come back. Yeah, so I start coaching and I call the first four fights. I call the outcome of the first four fights just by anal analysis. And the yeah. guy on the camera's looking at me like, what the fuck? Right? So anyway, and, and, and now I'm doing these shows and it's, it's been, what, that was 2010. It's been 12 years later. I'm doing all the top shows on the East Coast. I did Fox Sports. I did UFC Fight Pass. Yeah, man. I, I, I never, ever wanted to do it for fame, fortune, none of that shit. I'm just like, they want to listen to me talk. So I put, I put my freaking headphones on and a microphone and... They just want me to talk about what's going on in front of me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you're going to pay me for this? <laughs> it took me all over Australia. It took me to Asia. Um, I'm one of the few Australian commentators, you know, in history that have done professional commentary for in Singapore and China. Like I've done five shows in, in, in the Asia market for Rebel yes. FC. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. Good. Yeah, man. So I'm lucky, dude. Lucky. Oh, yeah. But uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's a certain like rhythm to your life. And to me, that's like, it's curious given that, that love for drumming. Is that something you still do? Do you still? 100%. Love yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm out there. Um, I'm on the kit. Look, you know, I haven't been well lately, so you know, um, you know, I haven't been on the kit for maybe uh, a couple of weeks. But if you ask my family, they'll tell you he's on the kit all the time. Like, I'll get home and I'll put my. The beautiful thing about virtual drums, like V drums, I've got this beautiful Roland setup for my son because he's a drummer. He's a he's a musician, and uh, which is that's another story. That's just I can't believe it. But um, and he's amazing. He's way better than me. But um. Yeah, I can put my headphones on and all you hear is me hitting rubber. Like there's no noise. And But if you want to run the thumper, run the amp, and you can make it sound like you're on stage, you know. So it's, you know, and and just the innovation of playing and all the different genres there are in music and being skilled in all different areas of drumming, you know, from, you know, having jazz fusion right up through met speed metal, right through just playing feel, playing, you know, you know, even just love songs, you know, adding my own take on slow love tracks, you know, just adding my own playing backwards and adding little things. I mean, you know, dude, I'll um, yeah, I'll get on the kit all the time, man. I love it. I like, it's physical too, you know. I feel yeah. like I'm 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 moving, I'm contributing, you know. I mean, it's physical for me. I love it. I love it. I've always loved drums since I was a little kid. You know, Led Zeppelin was the first band I ever heard. Um, Deep Purple. You know, my mum gave me a little. Um, she she gave me a little one of those. Remember those little um, was it a little uh, a single? We used to call them a single in the album, like an album. Yeah, yeah. Little, yeah. To chuck a little single. I used to have a stack of them on yeah, there, and yeah. I yeah. The opening riff out of uh, Black Knight from Deep Purple, you know, hearing the drums, do -do 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 you know, hearing that blew my freaking mind as a little four-year-old, five-year-old, you know, stacking yeah. up my mum's sewing, sewing school um, stools because she used to teach sewing lessons and she'd have 20, 30 girls a night coming in and I used to stack them up because Peter Chris was the first drummer, you know, Peter Chris was the cat in Kiss. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first time I saw a, a drum set, it was just drums. All the way from little, um, uh, little octave bands, all the way to eight, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen drums, cymbals. Everyone was like, "What the hell?" So I used to stack up the stools and made them look like it. And I used to use my grandmother's knitting needles. She wasn't well; she had cancer, and she used to live with us. And she used to knit. She used to have these knitting needles, and I used to play with knitting needles, put holes in the chair. My mum used to go bananas. Yeah, man, that was. <laughs> that's another yeah. story. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, face paint and everything. Because I remember my brother, <laughs> massive Kiss fan, still is, and doing doing. Give, I, was, I was the drummer, the drummer, and he'd do these same thing. Oh, cool, great memories. We used to put. I used to wet my face and put baby powder. <laughs> yeah. Right, and then I used to do the star. You know. Yeah, yeah. Star from Ace Freely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you know, I could never do Gene Simmons. He was the demon. I was never do that. Right. You know, yeah. maybe some Peter Chris, you know, some some uh, uh, whiskers on there. <laughs> there was the green, right? Crazy. Yeah, Crazy. so good. Um, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Frank, I've loved the journey and I've loved, like, so much learning through that and, and you're still going and still going forward. So what what does the future hold for you and, and 10 Planet? Like, what do you see for the impact that you can have, not just where you are now, but as you expand as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to see thousands of people um, taking on no gi jiu-jitsu uh, and grappling. Submission only movement is just growing and growing. We're going to see more and more and more people. And it's also the culture that 10 Planet brings, you know, the uh, the combat, the comedy, you know, the lifestyle. It's it's a fun thing to do. It's a great bunch of people, open-minded people to be around. Um, it's, it's martial arts. So, you know, you can save your life. You can protect your family. You can protect your possessions. You know, with the uncertainty of, of what's going on these days, you know, I mean, look where we are right now. We, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to shake this whole pandemic off. We're trying to get away from this, 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 the hypocrisy we see right now throughout the whole medical profession and throughout the, you know, the way the governments are running things and whatnot. We're trying to get away. From, I see more people getting pushed to things like um, tenth planet jiu-jitsu for sure. Uh, I see us thriving. Our best is yet to come. I think um, the, the future is way brighter than it was where I've come from. That's for sure. We just have to. We just have to get on with it, you know. We just have to um, uh, get past where we are right now, because you know, consumer confidence is, you know, it's it's huge in your market, um, and it's huge in ours. And I think um, as things progress and we we get uh, above and beyond this current state of the world, um, I think that we're going to be um, we're going to have our hands full. We're going to be so busy. We're going to see more schools pop up in Australia and around the world. Sydney, uh, Sydney, bro. When are you coming to Sydney? Ah, well, see, the, the interesting, that's a good question. And I know we're over an hour, so we've got to wrap this up. But um, Sydney is the one place that hasn't really taken on 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, it, we don't choose where our schools open. We don't choose where they open. We, you can't put someone in Sydney. It doesn't work like that. You have yep. to be from there. You have to understand the culture of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. You have to love no gig Jiu-Jitsu. You have to love pushing yourself and being self-motivated and being a real um, a pioneer in your own right. You have to be a leader. You've got to have those great qualities. You have to have thick skin. You have to be able to overcome adversity. You have to be able to not care about what the market says and thinks of you. You have to be have a really solid plan. You have to be a black belt. So you've got to go through all of that to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Dude, that's another podcast completely. If you think that anyone you think that anyone can become a black belt, you're dreaming, dude. You're not anyone can be a black belt in jiu-jitsu, bro. Yeah. No way. We are like the one percenters. We're like the Navy SEALs of the martial arts, dude. And no gi, oh, oh, that's another level of insanity altogether. So until that person is born, <laughs> it's it's unlikely it's going to happen unless it comes from there. So it has to come from the earth, you know? Yeah, love that. There. Love that. Yeah. Where can people find you, Frank? Oh, they can find me on, um, obviously, on Instagram, 10th Planet Melbourne on Instagram, Frank Barker on Facebook, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Melbourne on Facebook. Uh, we have our own website at www.10thplanet.com.au. We have a kick-ass, latest 
website, a hot website right now. We only launched it not even six months ago. So it's got everything you need on classes and where to find us. Our podcast is on there. You can find Eddie on there. You can find every other school in the world from there. Um, We have a podcast called The Ten, The Ten Podcast. Uh, We've been podcasting for uh, four years this December. We have 146 shows online. Just go to your favorite uh, platform, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, the rest of it. Uh, We're on Instagram there at The Ten Podcast as well and on Facebook on the TEN 10 podcast as well. Great stuff. Awesome chat, Frank. Love the energy. Love the stories. Thank you so much, brother. Great to see you. I apologize to all the listeners who I've blown their earphones out on a couple of, of, of uh, occasions. I apologize for that. But um, it's really hard not to get wound up and, and uh, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm very animated, you know, animated. Yeah. Yeah. When I've gotten pulled over in the past by police, other police have stopped because I'm standing on the side trying to explain jiu-jitsu to the copper, you know, because my car's bl- was plastered with jiu-jitsu stickers all over it and all this stuff. So <laughs> so I'm a little animated. So if I'm a little bit too much, um, I don't apologize. <laughs> nice. I love it. Love it. <laughs> Thanks again, Thanks, mate. And I appreciate it tremendously, this opportunity. Maybe we should do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. See Talk you, about something calm and peaceful, <laughs> not violence. <laughs> exactly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.